Welcome to A Better Way podcast, dedicated to mompreneurs who want to do good and feel good at work, at home, and in life. We're your hosts, Courtney and Danielle, and we get the challenges you're facing because we're living them too. We'll share tangible tips we've learned along the way to help make your life a little easier and we hope a lot more fun. We'll also chat with other moms who are making it happen so we can learn from one another because together we can find a better way. Hi, and welcome back to another episode of A Better Way podcast. Today, I'm joined by Shannon Lore. She is a seasoned mompreneur. She has over 10 years experience building and running successful businesses while also growing and raising her family. She's actually been nominated as a woman of note by the Wall Street Journal. And Shannon can currently be found leading Factory 45, which is an online business school that helps idea stage entrepreneurs launch fashion brands that are sustainably and ethically made. So welcome to the show, Shannon. Thank you, Courtney. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm so excited to have you. Um, I think you know some of our followers may already be familiar with you, but for anyone who's not, can you tell us just a little bit about yourself and kind of how you've gotten to where you are today running Factory 45? Sure. So yeah, I guess it started about over 10 years ago, 2010. I was starting a business. I didn't really know what that was going to look like. I had linked up with a friend and we just kind of were committed to not having to get real jobs. So we decided we wanted to start a fashion brand. We started looking into the fashion industry. Neither of us had any fashion background. We didn't really know what it looked like. And we quickly realized how unethical, how dirty, how polluting the traditional fashion industry is. So we committed to starting a sustainable fashion brand using recycled fabrics, sustainable materials, recyclable compostable packaging, and ethical manufacturing, um, which led us to launching the highest funded fashion project in Kickstarter history at the time. Um, We were covered by the New York Times. We were tweeted by the Wall Street Journal. It was this whole amazing thing. And then I realized that it should be easier for people to start fashion brands in a way that's sustainably and ethically made. So that led me into what I do today, which is run Factory 45, the online business school for sustainable fashion entrepreneurs. Amazing. So I feel like there is so much to unpack there. So when we have guests that have started businesses, you know, dating back to your first kind of go at entrepreneurship which by the way, I love that you were just determined to not have a real job because what I've learned in my last year of building my business is that there's no more of a real job than being an entrepreneur. So Mm -hmm. it's funny, like you think that there's freedom, right? But there's so much that comes along with it. But I love your determination to be like, I'm going to pave my own way with this. Um, And I know if Danielle were here today, she would love that too, because we talk about that all the time. But something I always like to ask um, guests or entrepreneurs that I'm connecting with, um, that have run a physical product brand is how do you even get started? So can you, you know, walk us through a little bit, because one of the things I want to talk about and focus on today is that, um, idea stage. So often we have an idea, but then bringing it into reality can be really difficult. And I think that can be even more intimidating when it's a physical product. So how did you, you know, about 
I think over 10 years ago now, how did you even jump into it? How did you find the next best step to take in your journey? Yes. Oh, that's so funny. You said next best step. Like I, that's what I talk about all the time. What is the next best step? So, um, with starting a physical product and I tell my entrepreneurs this all the time in factory 45, like you are setting out to start the hardest business you can start pretty much because there it's like, Creating a physical product is like no other. So you really, we start with sourcing in the Factory 45 program because that's the thing that takes the longest. It's finding your fabric. It's finding your materials. It's finding them at low quantities that are manageable in the beginning. So really, once you can get your idea out of your head and down on paper, then my next step is advising people to find the materials, the fabrics that can go into creating that idea you have on paper because that research process takes so long. You have to see so many different swatches, so many different materials to know what's best. Um, And then from there, once you can sort of get the physical in front of you, like once you're looking at fabrics, you have them in your hands, you're, you, it becomes tangible and that sort of snowballs into the next thing. Okay. Well, now I have fabrics in front of me. I can share that with my audience on social media. I can start building my email list. I can start sharing behind the scenes photos and that builds momentum because then people are saying, Oh my God, this is so cool what you're doing. Thanks so much for sharing the process with us. That then is incentive and inspiration to continue with the next thing. And so I think once you really can start to get the tangible in front of you, that creates momentum for all the other things that need to come. Mm -hmm. That makes a lot of sense. And I feel like the interesting thing is as much as a physical product can be scary, it's also very tangible. So you can see tangible progress every time that you're hitting one of those milestones. So What do you think is, because when I talk to women, whether they're running a fashion brand or a business of any kind, I feel like so many get stuck in the ideation stage. And every time you're growing or up-leveling is kind of a new ideation stage. And you know you want something different or you know you want to build something, but you can't quite see it yet. So before they've gotten to those tangible pieces, is there a particular challenge that you see most entrepreneurs facing and that you coach them through, whether it's mindset, whether it's, um, business, uh, you know, education in terms of the skills that they need to take this over the finish line. What do you think is really common in the, the entrepreneurs that you work with? I think what you said, business education, that's huge. Like that's one arm. That's obviously why I started factory 45 was because we had all these people. I saw all these people who didn't have a background in manufacturing or fashion and they wanted, they saw a problem they wanted to solve through a physical product. So that's what I focus on is that business education, how to take those next steps and what you need to know, the knowledge base you need to have to reach out to suppliers effectively, to talk to manufacturers. So you know what you're doing. You sound like, you know what you're doing at least. Um, But I think the big, big thing here is that, especially with women entrepreneurs, it's the perfection paralysis. Like it's good. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, 
we want everything. And of course I'm speaking generally, but we want everything to be perfect. And we want to make sure that that first step is the right one. And we're not missing out on all these other things or making the wrong decision. And we let that hold ourselves back. It's like, I can't, I can't launch my landing page yet because it's not perfect. It doesn't have the perfect branding and the perfect logo and the perfect headline. No, it's, it, it's okay. It shouldn't be perfect in the beginning because what's interesting is the evolution of a brand. And when you can share that with your audience and you can say, you know what, we're taking you from day one, like you're going to be on this journey with us. That's what's interesting. And so I think if you can really go into starting a business with this mindset of, I'm not even going to dwell in perfection paralysis because there is no chance I'm going to do this perfectly. <laughs> like there's no chance. If we could just let go of that, we're going to make mistakes. We're going to make the wrong decisions, but they're not necessarily the wrong decisions because they're going to lead us down to this better path or this better thing or this better decision down the road. Okay. I love that. So if, um, if Danielle were here, she'd be laughing. Cause she's like, of course you love that because I am a perfectionist. I'm, I'd like to say I'm a recovering perfectionist, but I don't think I'm even on the road to recovery yet. I think it still crops up every day. I think this is really relevant too, for, um, business owners that are also, I think it's, I think it's women in general, but I also think it's business owners who are also moms because there's so much going on and you want that control, right? We feel like we have to be in control and we feel like we want to control it. But I'm actually in a point in my business where I'm hiring staff um, and contracting out for work. Um, but there's this element of delegation. And I've always felt secure in delivering good work because I've been able to control it. And oftentimes I put in way too many hours making something perfect. The amount of times my husband has told me like, good is good enough. And I'm like, but it's not. So now I'm even getting to the point where I'm now putting that trust into other people. And I know I need to, and I want to, I want to be able to build up other people and help give them this opportunity, but it can be really scary. And I think that that can hold a lot of us back as I'm entering this part of my journey. Um, a business coach that I work with has been like, you know what, the more mistakes you make, the more you're going to fail fast and, and learn fast. And I'm trying to embrace it, but it's really hard. Could you share a little bit about your journey? Because I'm assuming that part of what you teach, you know, the entrepreneurs, specifically the women that you're working with is probably based on your experience. And people look at you and say, you have been successful and you have, but it's interesting that you're bringing this up because not everyone shares the missteps or the detours that they've taken along the way. And I'd love to just hear your perspective on your own journey. Oh yeah. I'm, I completely relate. I'm a recovering perfectionist as well. Um, and again, like I'm not fully recovered, but I think, <laughs> I think that that gives me a unique perspective. It's easy when you're not a perfectionist and you're just like, yeah, let's throw it up. Like, it'll be right. great. and just to say, yeah, just do like me. It's easy. It, I have the unique perspective of, yeah, I get it. Like, I want everything to be perfect too, but I have learned. Like, I think, I wish I could think of like very specific examples right now, but I just remember like, you know, a, like putting together, for example, a referral program and like wanting it to be like perfect landing pages and like all of the documentation to be perfect and spent hours, spent thousands of dollars on software for this thing. It never went live. 
Like it never even saw the light of day. And so would it have benefited me to just throw up an MVP, minimum viable product, and just get it out there and like see how it worked first? Yeah, probably. And it would have saved me a lot of money. So I think you also, to, to your business coach's point, you just also have to make those mistakes because you're going to think back like, oh yeah, remember when I did that thing and I wasted all that money? Okay, maybe let's not do that again this time. Exactly. No, that I love that. Um, such good advice. And so um, what something that I'd love to chat a little bit about is, um, you know, the brands that you work with, you're not only helping them build a business, but you're helping them build a business in a way that's not necessarily the standard or the norm. So you talked about sustainably sourced and ethically made um, fashion brands. And I think that this is really relevant. A lot of the brands that I work with are mission-driven product-based brands. Um, but one of the things that we try, I try to impress upon them is that um, we, wanna, we wanna use best practices, but we wanna differentiate ourselves as well. And I just had a conversation with one of um, my clients this week who is redoing a recipe. And he was like, you know, I'm now realizing why some of these really popular brands, they don't taste as good over time, because as you scale, you need to also give up quality or you need to give up some cornerstones of what you originally built your brand on. And I think what you're doing is really helping entrepreneurs be able to stay true to that and still be competitive. So they can compete on the ethos of what they're building their brand on. Maybe they're not competing on price, but you don't always need to compete on price. Can you talk a little bit about the balance of that in business? Because I think that applies not only to fashion, but to anyone who wants to run some type of mission-driven organization. Absolutely. And, and I say this at the very beginning of the program, as we get into sourcing and we're looking at sustainable fabrics and materials, there's no such thing as perfectly sustainable. Anytime you're making something new, it's going to have an impact. So when you look at your product and the design, the functionality, the fit, the durability, we can't sacrifice those things for the sake of sustainability, like quote unquote sustainability when, okay, maybe you use recycled fabric, but your product falls apart or doesn't fit well, or ends up in someone's closet because that wasn't the right fabric for the product. So I think it's this balancing act of yes, doing a lot of research, doing a lot of testing, figuring out what is most important to you, like what are the most important sustainability pillars for your product and your brand, and then knowing, again, progress over perfection, that we're going to improve upon the supply chain as we go, and maybe it looks like using real wooden buttons that are sustainably sourced from FSC certified forests instead of plastic buttons. And like that's one tiny thing, but like that's three plastic buttons not going into a landfill. So I think it's just like acknowledging the baby steps and then again, figuring out where you can improve along the way. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's great advice. And would you say, I know nothing about this. So I'm asking this and I have zero background in education in terms of when you are coaching people in building these businesses, you know, what is the commitment financially or from an investment perspective, is it, well, one, I don't know if there's a baseline, but then two, 
is it more expensive to get one of these companies or a product up and running versus a less sustainable alternative? Um, and if the case is yes, how do you offset that with marketing and building the brand to make sure you can command that price? I'm just interested in that balance. Yeah. So actually for me and my brands, I don't really feel like the financial risk or upfront investment is higher because I teach a pre-selling method of launching. Mm -hmm. So we're not creating products before our customers have purchased them. Like mm -hmm. that is the whole, e and that's like a sustainability ethos as well. We're not creating inventory that's just going to sit in a basement or a warehouse and not be sold. Um, so in terms of like, I think the upfront costs really are the same when you think about sampling, product development, pattern making, whether you're using like conventional polyester or organic cotton, like, yeah, it's going to be a, some difference in your sample yardage in terms of cost. But other than that, like the actual pattern making, sample making, those product development costs, R&D, all that is not going to be that different, whether you're using sustainable materials versus conventional materials. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Interesting. So you brought up an interesting concept that I think you leveraged um, in, or maybe you've partnered with businesses, but I know you have experience in crowdfunding. And I love this pre-selling because that's also really common with online courses, right? You like get paid to create is what people tell you. Can you talk a little bit more about that and why that's so important? I never thought of it from the sustainability perspective of don't create an impact until we know that there's a demand, but I think there's a benefit from that perspective, but then also from the perspective of, you know, what's going to sell and what's not as a business owner that gives you a level of insurance. And I think that's often overlooked. So I'd love for you to share a little bit more about your experience with that. Yeah. So I love pre-selling. Like, I don't care if you are crowdfunding, if you are pre-selling on your own e-commerce site, if you are doing a virtual pop-up on Instagram, like I teach all of those methods of pre-selling and I love all of them because that's exactly right. There's a sustainability impact, but there's also the reducing your own financial risk. It's, it's making sure there's a market need for what you're creating before you put, you know, $20,000 of your own money into production, not even knowing if your customers want what you're selling. So it's, it's, it's reducing your financial risk. It's reducing your time risk. It's reducing um, the sustainability or environmental impact risk, all of those things. But it's funny. I, I've been teaching this since 2012, when I launched my crowdfunding campaign in 2011, I've been teaching this strategy since 2012. And it's just been really cool to see how popular the strategy has become. Like, it's almost like we're seeing um, big brands, like luxury brands, shift to pre-selling and on-demand manufacturing. So it's been like, there's definitely a shift happening and people predicting that like, pre-selling is going to be the fashion future. I mean, fast fashion gets in the way of that, but uh, from, from the smaller independent brands and some of like the more sustainable, sustainably minded brands, I think we're going to see even more of it. Yeah. It's um, I love it. We haven't talked about pre-selling on the podcast yet. And one of my questions is like, what I know that you shouldn't give up if you try to bring something to market and you see that there isn't a demand there, that there's ways that you can pivot and there's ways you can learn from and adjust. What advice would you give to someone who tries to pre-sell and it doesn't sell the way they want to? Because I think so often people close up shop and then they're like, okay, nobody wants what I have. But I think 
a lot of entrepreneurs are like, well, how do I make this work? And how do you learn from that stage if it doesn't go the way you want it to? Yes. Well, the first thing I would say is don't wait until you're launching your crowdfunding campaign or your pre-sale campaign to do the little tests you can do along the way to know if this is a viable idea. Like you should be talking to your customers. You should be DMing them on Instagram. You should be, they should be in your inbox. You should be sending out surveys and polls. You should be in Facebook groups talking to your ideal customer. So there are little market research ways along the way to make sure that like, okay, I have like some indication that this is going to be successful. If you're sending out a weekly newsletter and people are responding, they're replying back to you and they're saying, oh my gosh, I cannot wait for your launch. I'm so excited. Like those are little indications that you're on the right track. If you get to the point where you do launch your pre-sales campaign and it isn't successful, then it's exactly what you said. It's pivoting. It's figuring out, okay, where did I go wrong? Was it price? Was it design? Was, was it decision paralysis? Did I try to launch with too many different designs or products that people couldn't decide which one they wanted? Um, did I not have the right colorways? Did, was my photography, you know, not compelling enough or uh, high quality enough? There's so many different, and again, going back to your customer, going back to your email list and saying, hey, it looks like, um, you know, you didn't buy this time around, you didn't pre-order this time around. I'm just curious for market research purposes, why that was, could you take two minutes to fill out this brief survey? Like, and people will do it. Mm-hmm. So I know you probably cover this in your course. And for anyone who's listening, it sounds like already just from our discussion, like if there's a wealth of information, like I want to learn more about it and I don't even have, <laughs> I do not have a fashion brand. I would not consider myself fashionable at all. Um, but I'm just so interesting, interested in this. And, um, do you, you've mentioned social media. So being in people's DMs, being in Facebook groups to get to know your um, prospective customers. And then you've also talked about um, inbox email marketing and making sure that you're staying in touch with them there. Um, Are you finding that when you're in the early stages, especially um, the idea stage that most business owners focus on and get success from those organic channels of social media and email, is there any other element that is critical to kind of preceding or market research and starting to build anticipation with your prospective audience that you teach people? Oh yeah, that's everything. So that's module two of the program is building an audience before you launch. It is my biggest thing when I talk to any entrepreneur, entrepreneur, any bootstrapping business, like you don't have venture capital behind you. Um, You have to build an audience before you launch. And the pushback I always get is like, I don't have a product to sell yet. I don't don't have anything. Like, what am I going to talk about? And it's just the perfect opportunity to provide value, education, information for your ideal target customer because you're not asking for anything in return. You're just creating, your goal is to create a community around you that would be interested in what you're planning on selling. And to, again, have those conversations. I always say like, I would rather have one email subscriber than 10 Instagram followers because of that like intimacy of the inbox and being able to have those conversations. Yes, you can get in the DMs. Yes, you can comment. But I think that email marketing is still my number one platform for anyone starting a business is focus on building that email list. You mm-hmm. can use social media marketing to drive people back to your opt-in to sign up for your list, but leveraging all of those things to 
organically build an audience. Um, and I actually don't teach any sort of paid advertising or pay to play, uh, strategies. It's all organic. Yeah. I love that. That's very much in line with how I advise my clients as well. And anytime we can get someone on an email list, we are so much more likely to convert them. Oh yeah. One particular client that I work with, it's, they are in a service-based business. So they have clients and they're long-term, long-standing clients. But what we've also found is the email list is a great way to turn them into advocates because we find them forwarding things of value to their friends who are then prospective clients for us and are in the right demographic and psychographic um, area for us. So very, very interesting. Um, I think that so often you hear paid ads and so often people assume that they need the money to do that off the bat. But honestly, I've seen organic channels work much better time and again. Something I advise my clients is once you've sold something organically, then you can use paid ads to scale. But even then it's not a one-to-one, there's still a learning experience. And so I agree that it can be really, really powerful. Sometimes it's just a matter of figuring out what it is, what is that hook that will get them on that email list. Um, but once that's part of the market research, and then once you know that it, it, it gets a little easier. Um, so we, so we've talked a little bit about your work with Factory 45 and the types of things that you teach entrepreneurs. Um, I'd love to kind of layer in because we were chatting a little bit earlier about being moms to toddlers who are no longer going to be toddlers, but just how this journey has been now running a business as a mom, because when you started, you did not have kids. And now your journey has transformed to where you have, I'm sure, a very energetic toddler running around. And um it, it's different. I, I think personally, in terms of the amount of time and mental energy I have to expend on the business, even if I want to expend more, I also have to, and want to be able to put my mom hat on. So can you tell me a little bit about your journey for people who may actually be entering motherhood, um, now, but had their business before and what to expect and how to navigate that? Yeah. Uh, where do I, <laughs> I begin? love the side. <laughs> um, so if you can plan in advance of the arrival of your child, which, okay, we have nine months, but sometimes we don't always plan. Um, I think that's huge. I, I was very deliberate of giving myself three entire months off, um, um, and, and just, I lined up blog posts and emails and scheduled them and had social media content ready to go out. Or I just put up like a, you know, I'm having a baby, like I'll see you guys in three months. So if you can do that or have co-founders or employees, contractors, whatever it is, try to do that. Like give yourself that grace, especially if you are just becoming a mom, it's your first kid. Like you, anyone, we can all tell you like, <laughs> it's going to be crazy, but like, you don't yeah. know until you're in it. You just, don't, it's, it's insane. Um, and so, and so that's what I would say. It's like plan in advance. And then once you like get back into your groove and, and you have a schedule and you're a little less sleep deprived and you can get back into your business, it's like there's this perspective shift that happens where you have like a finite period of time to get what you need to get done. And it's awesome. Like, I love it. I love having like that just like, it's like a pressure cooker, like 
okay, I have to do all these things in like the five hours he's at daycare. Let's get those done. And obviously like some people don't thrive under pressure um, and you have to find out what works for you. But for me, I think it was just like this shift of, all right, this is like what life is now. And I'm going to figure out a way to optimize my time. And then I'm going to give myself grace when I don't get those things done. And I'm going to say, you know what? I'm a mom and I have a baby at home or a kid at home. And like, it will get done another day. So I think you just have to be flexible with yourself. You have to be, you're an entrepreneur. You're already shifty and adaptable. So just embracing kind of the craziness. Yeah. I think too, something that I was just reminding myself this last night as we were, I was like wrapping up work and I went to get my sons and then we were late for soccer practice again. And I'm like, how are we late? We leave five minutes earlier every day that we need to go. But I kept thinking, okay, I need to remember that not every day is going to go as planned because as a perfectionist, you plan and then you expect everything to go as planned, but nothing ever goes as planned, at least in my household. Um, and maybe that's a whole nother story, but, um, I find myself, it kind of reminds me of when you said, you know, the journey as an entrepreneur, you're going to make mistakes in your business. It's, it's okay. Everyone does. It's how you can learn from them. I feel like it's the same with balancing motherhood and business. It's like, they're both your babies. You care about both of them. They both need your time and attention. They both fill you up, but they also take a lot of energy away, but also realize that they're never going to be perfect and you need to accept and enjoy that. And I'm saying that out loud to remind myself not to coach anybody else, but, um, I think it can, because you are running the ship of both, it can be so easy to think, okay, I'm in, I'm in control. If I just work hard enough or I work long enough, or I, you know, do this in advance, it'll all work out. And sometimes it doesn't, but then we, we shift and we pivot. Yeah. Yeah, totally. I think about this week, like my, as you know, my son being out sick from school for the first three days of the week. And I was in the middle of a launch. So (laughs) I was like literally in one of my busiest seasons of business. And, you know, I was like, all right, he's probably going to watch a lot of TV these three days. And he's going to see mom working instead of playing trains with him or cuddling with him. But you know what? Like there's something he's going to learn by seeing mom work and by and mom run her business. And like, yes, you're spending less physical time, maybe, but like they're getting something out of it. They're learning something from that. And I think that's valuable for a little boy to see his mom running her business. Oh, I love that. It's so It's so true. I think so often we think that there's one right way of doing something and that we always need to be present and playing with them. And I do try to do that, but you, it's easy to forget that when you are doing something that's meaningful and that lights you up, they're also learning from that. And it's okay. It reminds me of, I had a conversation with someone about mom guilt recently and how it's like such a real thing. And she was like, you know, well, there's two reasons for guilt. One is you actually did something wrong and you need to apologize for it. Or two, you think you're doing something wrong, but you haven't actually done anything wrong and there's no one to apologize for. And I was like, oh, it's a great way to sum up mom guilt. I'm not actually doing anything wrong. I'm not um, doing anything. I think it's doing something negative to my family. If I, um, I mentioned like I was in Boston on Sunday with my friend trying on bridesmaids dresses. And I was like, oh my gosh, I'm gone all day. The boys haven't seen me. And I felt guilty. And it's like, wait, why do I feel guilty? They're playing with their dad. It's it's okay. It's fine. But it can so easily get into our head. Um, so I really like that perspective. Um, 
there was one other thing I was going to ask around that. And of course I'm losing my train of thought as it relates to, um, you know, being a working mom and having your kids and having them see you, um, and having to juggle that. Um, I guess, you know, one, if, if you were to give certain advice to entrepreneurs who are moms versus not moms, what would that be based on your journey? Oh man. Um, can I remember not being a mom? <laughs> I just remember having way more time and just, I think, but I also think that it, yes, the, like there is no, like, there's no like secret. Like it is harder being a mom and running a business than it was not having the responsibility of a life and <laughs> just being able to run your business. But I think I like that. Again, I talked about kind of like that pressure cooker of time, but also like the shift in perspective, because it's also that things about my business don't worry, like, or don't bother me like they used to. Um, I don't worry about things like, it's almost like I just don't sweat the small stuff as much. And I think Mm -hmm. that could be being a seasoned entrepreneur and like now having done this for so many years, obviously there's going to be some of that, but yeah, I guess my advice to non-moms running businesses is like, maybe don't sweat the small stuff if you can. It's so cliche, but just remember that like things will change and there's, there's seasons of business. There's going to be great seasons where everything feels like it's running perfectly. And then there are going to be other seasons where it's like everything's coming, crashing, comes crashing down. And obviously the same goes for when you're a mom running a business, but I think maybe they just like, don't phase me as much now. So it's funny that you mentioned like everything comes crashing down because I mentioned earlier, like I'm, I'm hiring and I also had, um, just, a one particular client, we were working through a campaign for something. And I mentioned to my husband, I was like, you know, I just feel like everything is closing in on me. Like everything Mm. is getting difficult at once. I feel like I'm either going to be able to like pick the plane back up or it's just going to like crash and burn. And I can't figure out if this fear is just because I'm growing in my role or if it's like something to really be fearful of. So in your experience, because you've had more experience in entrepreneurship than I have in terms of um, the different companies and the years, like, is it normal to have those moments where you feel like it is all on fire and you don't know what to do? And all of a sudden you come out of that season and it's a little bit brighter. Um, How do you navigate those rough patches? Yeah. I mean, I think that is like a hundred percent any business. Like I think about one thing to remember in those times, my coach, my business coach says to me is those times when it feels like things are burning down, like they're burning down for regrowth. So like, it's usually an indication that when you get to the other side of it, it's going to be so much better it's going to be so much brighter. Things will be in a better place than they were when they were before they were burning down. It's like burn to grow. Um, and so I think that's what I remind myself. I'm like, oh, this feels, there's just like, 
you know, those nights where you're just like tossing and turning because your mind is racing and you're just like literally solving business problems mm-hmm. in your mind or like writing copy in your mind <laughs> or <laughs> like writing emails to people in your mind. Mm-hmm. Um, it's during those times where, you know, I, yeah, I just have to wake up. I have to get in front of my computer and I have to just say to myself, this sucks. This feels really like, I do not like how this feels. I don't want to be in this place, but when I get through it, I'm going to be on a better side than where I was. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's really good advice. I like that a lot. Um, I like too, that you mentioned that you have a business coach. Cause I, one of the things I typically like to ask our guests is like, specifically, if you were to share a better way with mompreneurs, what would it be and and why? Um, And you talked a little bit about not sweating the small things, but I love that you are someone who is seasoned. You've run multiple successful companies, yet you still have a coach. And um, I think that that's amazing because you're also coaching other people. And something I've learned on this journey is like, you're never going to know it all. There's always going to be a season where you need support from someone who's been there or has traveled that road. And I love that you continue to invest in yourself so that you can also continue to invest in your students. Can you just talk a little bit about that? Because I think, you know, I know you and I know so many other people who are committed to serving others through online schools or courses. And I think people can be scared to make that investment, but I know I've grown in my business every single time I've done that. And I'd love to just hear a little bit about you and how you invest in yourself, but then how that transfers onto your students through Factory 45. Oh yeah. I say, I say to everyone, like anyone who you see online or not online, who's successful that you admire did not get to where they were by themselves. Like Mm -hmm. everyone joins a program or takes courses or gets a high level coach or whatever it is, hires, um, because they know, like, I know that if I hire a business coach and I do my diligence and research and make sure it's the right fit, that I'm going to see an ROI on it, a positive ROI. Like I'm going to make money, that money back. And so I think anytime you look into investing in a program or a coach, whoever it is, just make sure one, that it's the right fit so that you can see a return on it and that you're going to actually solve the problem that that program or course or whoever um, coach is going, is setting out to solve. Um, But I think that it is, imperative. It's a non-negotiable for anyone running a program, uh, calling themselves a coach, calling themselves a consultant, that they are investing in continuing education. Like it's just, you can't be teaching other people and not be learning yourself. And so that's anytime I join a program or I hire someone, I am actively looking for someone who can not only better my business and help my business, but can teach me things that I can then pass on to my entrepreneurs, whether that's about marketing or business strategy or something more specific around sustainability. Um, But again, it's just, we see a lot of people online calling themselves coaches and Mm -hmm. consultants and experts, like experts is just like the thing now. And okay, that's fine, but make sure that you are continuing to become an expert in your fields because you owe it to any student or mentee, whoever it is um, that you are working with. Yeah, I agree. And you mentioned earlier in the um, in our chat about change, and I feel like you know change is the only constant in life. And 
as a business owner, things are changing every day. And if you're not staying on top of it, whether you're a coach or just simply running your business, it's really hard for you to continue to succeed or students that you're teaching to continue to succeed. So I love that. Um, well, this has been amazing. I know you mentioned that you just had, um, a launch, but I'd love to share with our listeners just where they can find you, where they can find more about factory 45 and connect. Um, cause I know you've given me a ton of like amazing kind of, um, little pieces that I can take away from this interview. And I know a lot of others will, and I want to make sure that they can find you as a follow-up. Yes. Thank you. This has been so fun to talk to you. Um, so you can find me at factory45.co. Um, and I'll also actually, um, if maybe in the show notes, I have a link to a one page business plan template for anyone who is um, wanting to start a business. I mean, it really applies to any type of business, but obviously, uh, fashion business brands. Um, so there is a one page business plan template that I'll all sp- pass along. And then I'm on Instagram at factory 45 CO. Perfect. Well, we'll include all that in the show notes. And Shannon, it has been a pleasure. Thank you so much. It was so fun to chat with you. And I know our listeners will really, really enjoy this episode. Thank you so much, Courtney, for having me. Thanks. And we'll see you on the next episode, everybody. Thanks for listening to today's episode. For more information from today's chat, including how to reach us, head on over to the show notes. Don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss out on any of the exciting episodes to come. And please, if you liked what you heard, be sure to leave a rating and review. It's how we can help other busy moms find their better way. Until next time, mom friends.